Ah, yes, and so we move back into the AL East, however briefly, as the Toronto Blue Jays and their 11-23 record within the division take on the Baltimore Orioles tonight. The first place Baltimore Orioles in the first of three games, a 7.05 first pitch right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and of course, as always, across the Sportsnet family of television stations. Some lineup news from the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Vladdy Jr. is back in the lineup. He is playing at first base. Of course, Vladdy left Sunday's game with a with discomfort in his middle finger after uh, a wild swing that saw the bat fly out of his hands. He is back hitting cleanup. That's good news. Uh, the Jays lineup is as follows. With Yusei Kikuchi on the mound, it is Whit Merrifield, Bo Bichette at short, Brandon Belt at DH. He's back in the number three spot. Vladdy's cleaning up. Springer's in right field, Varshals in left. Chapman hitting seventh at third base. Danny Jansen's behind the plate. Kevin Kiermeyer is in center field. So um, some concern, I guess, when Vladdy left the game on Sunday because one of the things that I think the Blue Jays, well, I know the Blue Jays have wanted to see as we get to this this point in the schedule. They wanted to have as close as possible to their entire lineup in the game. I mean, it's been a while between Bo Bichette getting hurt, uh, Danny Jansen getting hurt as a result of, you know, become a human pinata with pitches. Uh, Matt Chapman missed some games with a finger. And of course, Kevin Kiermeyer uh, was on the IL as well with a uh, with a gash on his elbow. So I, the idea was for the Blue Jays, the positive thing was for the Blue Jays going into the series, you wanted to have your full lineup together. I mean, look, here, here's the thing. The Jays are not going to catch the Baltimore Orioles. The Jays are eight and a half back of the Orioles right now. The Orioles are three up on the, on the race. I mean, the Jays' focus has to be on the wild card. They're a game out of the wild card. The Seattle Mariners won again last night and, frankly, will probably win again tonight as well uh, against the Chicago White Sox. But the Jays', the Jays focus has to be on the wild card. However, I would suggest that for their own, what, self-confidence? I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you judge such things anymore. But for their own self-confidence, uh, taking a series against the Baltimore Orioles would go a great distance towards putting some wind in their sails as they go they go back into kind of an easy portion of the schedule. And then, of course, we've talked about how September, the final two weeks of September, just they, it just rises like a bear. And, yes, they play games against the Yankees, and the Yankees stink, and there's no reason to think that the Yankees won't stink in September. But you've got the Yankees, you've got the Rays. You know about the Rays. You know what the Rays have done to the Blue Jays in the past. And you've got games against <clears throat> um, the uh, Boston Red Sox as well. I think I've got games left against the Red Indian. But the fact of the matter is, this is these are the final three games against the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, as I said, first place, I think it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a pipe dream right now uh, if you're a Blue Jays fan. But certainly winning a series against the first place team would at least change the narrative a bit. And... You know, I don't know 
um, how much the division record will really come into play uh, in the wild card standings. Keep in mind that there is no sudden death game. If you are tied with another team in the wild card race, the deciding factor is number one record between the teams and number two record within the division. So if you look at the American League East, I mean, the Rays, the Yankees are 15 and 24. They're still ahead of the Jays in terms of the standings within the division. So it's probably too late to make a significant dent in that. But the fact of the matter is Boston's 19-14, Tampa's 20-14, and 14, Baltimore's 24-14, and 14, and there sit the Jays at 11-23. So, yes, there's kind of a, uh, there's, there's a, if you want to call it a mathematical imperative to it, but I think more than anything else, there's just the psychological imperative of being able to beat the Baltimore Orioles in Baltimore at a time where the Orioles are um, just, I, I, I mean, the Orioles are playing like a team that doesn't realize they're not supposed to be that good, and that's always dangerous. They're 7-3 in their last 10 games. Um, they're 36 and 23 at home, 13 games over 500 at home. Uh, they are, I think, I think the best team in the American League. And um, consequently for the Blue Jays, A positive result from this series would uh, go a long way to, um, to kind of putting a little little spring in their step. Um, and we've talked about this with the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays coming off a big win against the Cincinnati Reds where they set a season high in extra base hits and had five home runs. We've seen this before with this team. The Jays did the same thing. Almost the same thing. They were even better against the Boston Red Sox in a three-game sweep in Fenway. We all thought, we all thought that was the emergence of some sort of new uh, team-wide approach to hitting that was going to pay off. And then, of course, they ran into great pitching in Cleveland, and um, and kind of went back to their old their old ways. So let's see what tonight's game holds for the Blue Jays. Jeff Arnold, Orioles broadcaster, he'll be calling this series on the radio for the Orioles will join us in a few minutes. Mark Feinsand, executive reporter and MLB Network insider, will be along. Old friend Cliff Floyd will join us. And uh, Dan Connolly, Orioles and MLB uh, writer for SportsNet. Not SportsNet. Not SportsNet, Daniel. SportsNet. Dan Connolly will be along uh, later on in the show to uh, take a deeper dive into the Orioles. Uh, If you missed it today, uh, a little bit of news regarding the Tampa Bay Rays. Wander Franco uh, has been placed on administrative leave by Major League Baseball. Uh, That announcement was made earlier today. Uh, According to a press release, the Rays and Franco mutually agreed to his placement. Well, they did on the restricted list on August 14th. This was after Major League Baseball began investigating social media posts claiming that uh, that Franco had uh, had been 
inappropriate relationship with a minor. Uh, there is also an investigation, uh, according to published reports, in his native Dominican Republic. Police investigation into similar, we don't know if it's the same allegation, but a police investigation into similar matters. Wander Franco had been on the restricted list. He is now on administrative leave. Um, and this is a statement from Major League Baseball. Per an agreement between MLB and the MLBPA, Wander Franco has been placed on administrative leave until further notice. As MLB continues its ongoing investigation, the administrative leave, effective immediately, is not disciplinary under the Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. We will comment further at the appropriate time. Now, um, the Rays, of course, came out and said that they, are, they fully support uh, the move by Major League Baseball. Players who are on administrative leave continue to receive their salary and continue to receive Major League service time. Um, and, of course, and we, we, we should say that Franco has denied the allegations uh, that were made against him. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is if you talk to people around the Rays, if you talk to reporters around the team, Nobody is going to say it on the record, but there is uh, a very real feeling that Wander Franco may not be back at any time this season. Now, again, things can change, but that is the feeling you get from the Rays. Mark Topkin, friend of the show, reported today that the Rays have removed all the... um, in-stadium advertising or the advertising around the stadium involving Wander Franco. There, you know, there were wraps around the elevator and things like that. Uh, those have all been taken down by the Tampa Bay Rays. So, um, you know, you don't, you can't jump to conclusions here, but it, it, it seems as if the Rays are uh, in the very least prepared to move on. Uh, without Wander Franco, and you know, of course, your first thoughts go to the the victim in this uh, in this situation, or perhaps victims. We we don't know that yet, but from a baseball point of view as well, uh, Wander Franco was an important part of uh, what the Tampa Bay Rays have done lately. We mentioned the Jays and Orioles will start their three game series tonight. At 7.05, right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan of Sportsnet. It will be Yusei Kikuchi on the mound for the Jays. Grayson Rodriguez for the Orioles. No Anthony Santander in the lineup for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Santander missed Sunday's game with a lower back issue. Bad news for Jays fans is that Ryan Mountcastle, who... I mean, at this point with Ryan Mountcastle, I, if I'm the Jays, I go out and try to acquire him somehow so that I don't ever have to face him again. Ryan Mountcastle, who has owned the Jays this year, uh, is hitting second. Uh, he is on a roll. He's reached base safely in 26 straight games. That's the longest active streak in MLB. Obviously a career high as well. Uh, his 12-game hitting streak is the second longest, or he had a 12-game hitting streak, which was the second longest of his career. He's slashing 403, 474, 612 in 18 games in August. Jeff Arnold will have the call of this series 
on the Orioles radio network. Jeff Arnold also does some work for Mass, and he joins us on Blair and Barker. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Just me today. My friend Kevin Barker is uh, on holidays, enjoying some time with the family. We appreciate you, or I appreciate you joining us, and I'm <laughs> sure if Kevin was here, he would appreciate you joining us as well. Um, f- first of all, just a little housekeeping here. A- Anthony Santander, is that just simply giving him another day uh, because of the back, or you know, is, is it a strategic decision or anything like that? Well, Jeff, first of all, it's good to be with you. Um, the Santander thing is just having to give him another day. I mean, he didn't play the last two games when the Orioles were in Oakland. Um, he would be available off the bench. He's a guy in his career that's you know been banged up at times. Um, so what they're really just focusing on is um, just giving him the rest that he needs because he's a big part of the Orioles lineup. And, and given how they've been playing and how much productivity they've gotten in the last couple of games, um, I think they figure it's better to just give him a rest. He'll be available off the bench if the Orioles need him. Uh, but it's just to, to give him a little bit more time because the Orioles realize uh, they've got a, a lot of season left. Now, I just read off Ryan Mountcastle's stats. N- not all of those stats were against the Blue Jays. The Jays, as far as I know, haven't played uh, 26 straight games against uh, against Ryan Mountcastle. <laughs> um, although sometimes it seems like he manages to pack 26 straight games into a, into a three-game series against him. Um what is it? Look, this is a team full of young stars. We've talked about the you know, obviously the Gunnar Hendersons and 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 the Adley Rushmans. I mean, all all these 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 young players and Jordan Westberg even and the guys that are coming up. Where does Ryan Mountcastle fit into this group? And what is the what is the long term plan? I guess for Ryan Mountcastle as part of this group. It's a good question. Um... You know, and jokingly, when it came to his success against Toronto, I think I said on Masson that, um, you know, he's making a bid for Canadian citizenship, I think, pretty soon, given uh, given what he's done up in uh, Rogers Center um, and what he's done against the Blue Jays in his career. Um, I, I think he's a very important part of this team. You know, he's a little bit ahead of the guys like Adley and, and Gunnar Henderson uh, just because, you know, he came up a little bit sooner than they did. Um, he's a really important part of this team because in part, he's a right-handed bat. we got a lot of left-handed bats in our lineup. Um, he can hit the ball the opposite field really well. He's a really nice first baseman as well for us. And being able to get both him and Ryan O'Hearn in our lineup at the same time, especially against a righty, is something that we've liked to do. You know, long-term outlook, um, the Orioles have the top arm system in, in all the baseball, so you got to keep that one in mind. Um, a lot of really good outfield prospects, but um, you know, a lot of guys who are left-handed bats. Um, and so having a right-handed bat who can do what Mal Castle's doing, and he certainly is on a tear right now, um, is important to this team uh, because he's got great opposite field power because he plays good defense at first base. So um, I still think he has a very important role in this team. You know, down the road, what is his role going to be? I'm not really sure exactly, but – for now, he plays great defense, and he's been one of the hottest hitters in baseball since the All-Star break. Jeff, what has surprised you the most about this Orioles team? They're seventy-seven and forty-seven. I, I, you know, I mentioned. I think I, you know, even even if the Jays sweep the series, I mean, I, I I don't think there are too many Jays fans out there who look at first place as a realistic proposition for this team. Um, what surprised you the most about about what the Orioles have done? You know, we saw last year that they were able to cobble together a bullpen that was dominant out of a 
bunch of, I mean, I'm not going to say nameless, faceless guys, but I mean, they put together a bullpen out of a bunch of guys that not many people had heard of. Of course, we knew about all these, these great young players and we know about the great young players coming up, but has there been something that has, has stood out to you as perhaps um, something we don't appreciate enough about this team or something that we just don't know about this group? I mean, I, I think that what sticks out to me, and we saw it with this team last year, and it's one of those things that, you know, it's hard to replicate. It feels like year in and year out is the ability to win close games and the ability to win close games late. Um, you know, the Orioles, if you examine how they do when the game is tied and, and you're, um, you know, you're through eight innings, I mean, they almost always win. Um, and it's just kind of hard to do that on a year in and year out basis. Um, I think last year was important and it, that it built a lot of confidence that they could um, if it happened. But still, um, you have to have a good bullpen in order to do that, and the Orioles still do. They've had a, a great performance from Felix Bautista, who I think is the best closer in baseball. And then Yenir Cano comes in, and he comes out of nowhere. Um, to go along with that group, which is really strong, the Orioles often find ways to get a big hit late a lot. Um, they find ways to break ties a lot. I mean, twice this year they've gone extra innings and they've scored five times in an inning. Um, hmm. So they, they have a lot of confidence when it comes to playing games that are tight and playing tight games late and by hook or by crook, finding a way to win. And that kind of stuff adds up over time. Um, that kind of stuff adds up over time uh, because for instance, you look at the San Diego Padres and why they have struggled. The Orioles played San Diego recently um, six and 19 in one run games. 0-10 in extra inning games. You look at the rest of the Padres' numbers, for instance, and and they're actually a pretty darn good team, and you, you don't really understand, well, why are they where they are? Six and a half games out of a wild card spot in the in the National League. Things like the close games, the extra inning games, and the success in those, in those departments certainly can add up. Where's uh, Grayson Rodriguez right now on the, you know, on the, on, on the development, I guess the development graph, if, if, if you want to call it that, um, you know, clearly he was the organization's top pitching prospect. He was up, he was down, he's been back up. I think he, uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's what he's had a couple of quality starts third in his last four outings. Uh, I'm not going to ask if the Orioles think he's over the hump because obviously it, you know, it's, Pitching and he's a young pitcher, and you need you need more. I think a more uh, significant body of work. But do they do the Orioles think that this is you know the guy they have now is a guy that uh, you know can pitch can, can pitch significant innings for them in the postseason, um, and and the guy I, who I is so. going to be a cornerstone going forward. Uh, definitely, definitely, yes. I think in in both respects, and it's kind of interesting to examine what the Orioles um, playoff rotation would look like right now um, because Grayson Rodriguez, you know, he had his first stint in the major leagues with the team, didn't make the club out of spring training. And, you know, he kind of had an outing where it was like one was good, one was poor, um, one was really good, one was poor. And, and it just kind of was like back and forth, back and forth. And so they, what they sent him down to work on was just basically command, especially fastball command. Um, and so what he did was he came back, he's facing tough lineups right out of the gate. Um, if you look at what he's done his last six starts, you know you have to look at the opponents that are next to those starts too, and the lineups that he's facing, and often the uh, the opposing pitchers that he's opposing. I mean, he's looking at a lot of staff aces uh, in, in the mix of it. But I think he's kept in mind 
pitch to the opponent, don't pitch to the opposing starting pitcher. Um, and what he's done, I think his trajectory is like way up right now. Um, he is definitely viewed as a cornerstone. He's viewed as somebody who can be a, a front of the rotation starter down the road. And his success is rooted in number one, better fastball command, um, being able to throw more strikes when he wants to, you know, before he'd spray the ball a lot. Now he's not doing that. And on top of it is he's maintaining his velocity before, you know, he might start off 98, 99, and then suddenly you get to the end of his line and he's 93, 94. Now he's last starting against San Diego. He's hitting hundred miles an hour in the seventh inning. So that's the kind of stuff that's impressive to see. Um, I give a lot of credit to our, uh, our pitching coaches and the, you know, Justin Ramsey is the Orioles AAA pitching coach did a really good job with him helping to refine some things mechanically to get his command better and allow him to maintain his stuff. And, and what's impressive about this too, Jeff, is that he's, he's doing this while also past his previous high in innings pitched at any level of pro baseball. I think he's around 122 now. I think his previous high was 102. Um, and, and so he's doing that, all this stuff, even while he's going past that limit from before. So I, I think that you got to keep that in mind as well. As good as this team is, how important is it to have Cedric Mullins available on a day-to-day basis? Huge. I mean, the thing about Cedric Mullins is his defense. I mean, if you, if you go to YouTube and you type in Cedric Mullins, impressive catches, um, it's a pretty long video. And, and the thing is this year, we've seen him make some absolutely insane catches. The latest one came in our recent West coast road trip to Seattle where he is playing center in the ninth inning, he comes in the game, and uh, he leaps over the wall. He takes what would have been a game-tying homer away. Funny enough, the Mariners would end up tying the game the next batter anyways with a home run. And then Cedric Mullins comes up to the plate in, the, in extra innings and hits a home run himself. And that's, that's what gives the Orioles the win. There's just something about Cedric that when he's here, um, this team is different. Um, and it's his defense. I think it's his leadership. Um, it's his ability to, to hit really well in any number of spots in the batting order, his ability to steal bases. Um, the Orioles have speed, but you know maybe not a lot of guys who can swipe a bag. Cedric certainly can. So he just adds so much on, on, on every facet of the game um, that, that I think it's a, it's a big difference maker for this team when he's not there. Though I, I will say another key of the Orioles this year has been when Cedric has been out, there have been other guys who've managed to step up and shoulder the workload because previously without Mullins here, I don't, I don't know how well the Orioles do um, when he's, uh, when he's missed, uh, missing time. Jeff, listen, it's really good of you to join us today. So close to the game. We really appreciate it, man. It should be a fun series. No doubt about it. Appreciate the time. Take care. That's Jeff Arnold, uh, Orioles broadcaster. He will have the uh, call of the game today on the Orioles radio network. He also does work for mass and the Orioles are eight and two against the Blue Jays this year, six and one at the Rogers Center. And as we mentioned, this is the final game of the season, or I should say the final series of the season between these two teams, the Orioles setting the pace in the American League East. The Orioles very much one of the storylines this year in Major League Baseball. And um, the Blue Jays would certainly if they can take two of three in this series, uh, you would have to think that the Blue Jays would feel extremely buoyant coming home to take on the 
Cleveland Guardians. And again, the pitching matchup tonight is Yusei Kikuchi. He's on a bit of a roll himself against Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles. 7.05 will be the first pitch on Sportsnet, 590, the fan, and Sportsnet. Uh, Mark Feinsand is MLB.com executive reporter. He's also a network insider for MLB Network. Lots to talk about with Mark. We'll talk a little bit about Wander Franco and, and, and what exactly it means to be on, a, on administrative leave, uh, which, as we mentioned, the Tampa Bay Rays and, and Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association announced today that uh, Wander Franco has gone on administrative leave. We'll continue to talk about the um, New York Yankees, of course, the story that keeps on giving. And, 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 and an, another story that maybe we haven't really paid enough attention to, but um, there's a team just down the road from the Orioles, the Washington Nationals, who are making a little bit of noise. This is a team that traded Juan Soto, you'll remember, last year at the trade deadline to the San Diego Padres. Um, and it's just loaded up. And I mean loaded up in prospects. And they've kind of gone from being a team. Well, let's just say people are looking at the Juan Soto deal now and thinking that Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, hit a home run with it. Ownership sure does because he and manager Davey Martinez have been given contract extensions. Mark Feinsand will join us next to talk about that. It's Blair and Barker. Well, it's Blair. Barker's here in spirit. On Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Sportsnet radio network, and Sportsnet. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. might be a little late to have any impact on the wild card race in the American League or the uh, AL West for that matter. But if you're a baseball fan, this is really, really good news. Mike Trout has been activated by the Los Angeles Angels. So we'll get a chance to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe for the last time together, although I'm sure there are folks out there who uh, are of the opinion that Shohei Otani will end up staying around with L.A., but that will certainly be a storyline as the season winds down. The fact that uh, this could be the last time we see these two players on the field as teammates. Um, although I've, I've, if you listen to the show, you know, I've kind of maintained all along. I just, I... I've I've thought Otani is either going to stay with the Angels or he's going to go to the Dodgers, and I'm leaning towards the Angels for no apparent reason. Uh, but anyhow, Mike Trout is back, and as I said, that is uh, extremely good news if you are a baseball fan. Um, still remember their showdown at the World Baseball Classic, which really kind of got the entire... I mean, this has been such a good season for baseball so far. We talked yesterday with 
uh, Jason Stark about the attendance in baseball and the TV numbers are robust. That World Baseball Classic, that showdown between those two, I think kind of set the stage for the season. So, as I said, that is uh, really good news. Also good news, always good news for us, is that we're joined now by Mark Feinsand, MLB.com executive reporter and MLB Network Insider. Hello, Mr. Feinstein. Hello, Mr. Blair. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing so well. I'm not going to ask you a Yankees question for about 10 to 15 minutes. (laughs) I thought you were going to say 10 to 15 seconds. (laughs) No, 10 to 15 minutes. We'll get to the Yankees eventually. Um, We're just going to talk about the relevant teams. We're we're going to talk about the playoff teams, the teams that aren't old and decrepit. Um... Very quickly, though, what do you make out of the story out of Chicago yesterday that the Chicago White Sox may be looking to relocate to, to, to Nashville or that Jerry Reinsdorf may be looking to sell the team? Something, frankly, that I'm sure White Sox fans would, I mean, they'd be celebrating in the streets if that happened. Does this sound like just kind of a classic sort of first move and maybe trying to get a new ballpark or you know, get the ballpark retrofitter. Is there is there really something here? Yeah, doesn't this have that San Francisco Giants to Tampa Bay oh, feeling boy, does it ever. It from about thirty years ago? Uh, I, I can't I can't imagine that the White Sox leave Chicago. I mean, I you know their ballpark is uh, known throughout baseball circles as the last bad ballpark ever built. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it was sort of the last one that was in that cookie-cutter mold pre-Camden Yards or right around that same time. And then after Camden Yards, everybody said, oh, that's what you can do with the ballpark. So, I, you know, I think certainly the, the White Sox would be thrilled to have a new ballpark uh, built for them somewhere on the south side. But, uh, you know, th- that's one of those franchises that, you know, it's been around for over 100 years, and I just have a hard time believing that uh, not the Reinsdorf would sell the team. That I could see. Uh, at some point, just because of his age, and you know, maybe if if his family has no interest in, in taking over for him uh, someday, that you know, well, okay, let's go collect a few billion dollars and move on. Um, but I just I have a hard time until I see the White Sox uh, agree to a deal to move to Nashville and actually start packing the trucks. I'm not going to believe that one. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I I just kept thinking of all the the stories about Jerry Reinsdorf's influence with the previous commissioner. And, and it, I mean, it was real folks in Montreal still think that Jerry Reinsdorf had a great deal to do with the 94 strike. And in fact, I, I mean, I think he did as, I, I, I think he did as well, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, to me, the bigger story was Jerry Reinsdorf thinking of, of, of selling or divesting because you're right. He is at that stage. He's getting older. Um, I, yeah, you know, I, I I just get the sense, frankly, that um, the whole dalliance with Tony Larusa was just kind of a I, I don't know. Let's see if I can recapture some past glory, and it clearly hasn't worked out. And I just don't know if he's got the stomach for what needs to be done with the White Sox right now, because that's that's I mean, a long term proposition. He's eighty seven years old. This is you know this yeah. is one of those uh, you know you think back to like Illich with Detroit when he was you know around mm-hmm. that age and. Um, you know, but his son was was prepared to take over. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know what the what the situation is with the Reinsdorf family in terms of you know his family's willingness to take over, a la you know Hal Steinbrenner or whatnot. But um, you know, when you're 87 years old and you 
you certainly start thinking about uh, how long you're going to be doing this and want to do this and want to take the time to do this. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't think it's impossible to, to believe that they can sell the team, but um, I would be very, very surprised if they sold the team and it ended up playing somewhere other than the South side of Chicago. Now, uh, speaking of a different ownership group, the Jays are going to be taking on the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the first of a three-game series at Orioles uh, at, at Camden Yards. Uh, John Angelos raised some eyebrows with uh, some recent interviews where, you know, he's, well, he's done more than suggest. He's, he ba- he's basically said, we're going to have to keep, we're going to have to raise ticket prices to keep this young core together. Uh, it's great having young players, uh, it, but the young players who were really, really good also tend to make money fast. And earn earn money fast. <laughs> Crazy how that works, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's remarkable what happens when it when it all works out. Uh, you, you know, look, uh, we know the Angelos family. We know that there's a there's an end game here as well with the ballpark. But I, I'm I'm wondering how much of this. Like, I'm trying to look at it from the point of view of the Angelos uh, family and John Angelos, which is probably a bad thing to do. But I, I don't know how saying I'm going to have to raise ticket prices, it's going to be hard to keep this young core together. If I'm looking to to get, what, $600 million to fix up my ballpark, I don't know if that's a sales pitch I, I, I'd be using. I'd be kind of looking towards the Seattle Mariners, right, where the Mariners used that great team to build momentum towards a ballpark, even after they lost a vote on the ballpark. Yeah, it's an interesting tactic for sure. I, I think, um, you know, that's another team that, like, you can chirp and, and threaten and, and have all the innuendo about what happens if we don't get the money we want. But Rob Manfred said a couple months ago that the Orioles are not leaving Baltimore mm-hmm. on his watch. That's like it's another one of those baseball cities that, you know, Major League Baseball is not going to stand there and allow the Orioles to leave or whatever they're going to have to do to help them you know, get what they need to stay, they'll do. Um, you know, I think it's it's an interesting tactic to take in a season where uh, the Orioles, who, you know, took that, that step forward last year and now obviously have taken another huge step forward this year, uh, you know, to sort of almost threaten your fans is, is uh, an odd approach. Um, it's almost like that. Day, it's, it's almost like that combined with the Kevin Brown thing is just stop it. Let them have fun, <laughs> you know. Right. Let, let, let them have fun. Let them just go watch Adley and Gunner play. And uh, exactly. You know, I mean, those those are two of the most exciting young players in the game, and you've got them both. You know, for for the next four to five years, with uh, you know, without having to pay the money that we're talking about them eventually making. Um, you know, look, if the Orioles' core here uh, remains as good as we all project it will be, and there's more on the way. Um, I mean, you know, at this rate, Jackson Holiday will probably be starting a shortstop on the division series. Mm-hmm. Um, that kid is just, just rapid ascent through the minors. He's 19, and he's just crushing it at every level. Uh, you know, if you look at this core, yeah, it's going to cost money to keep them all together, but we're not talking about in 2024, right? There's something to be playing for the minimum in 2024. Right. Um, so you're looking at you know, having to start paying them arbitration in 26 and maybe free agency in 28, 29. There's some time here before John Angelos is going to have to worry about, um, you know, paying these guys. You could try to lock them up depending on who their agent is. Maybe they're amenable to it. You know, Tampa Bay has certainly taken that tactic with some of their players. And we've seen, you know, some other teams try to lock up their young guys. Um, 
you know, some of them to huge contracts like the aforementioned Mariners did with Julio Rodriguez. Uh, but I think given the type of baseball town that Baltimore is, remember, back in the mid-'90s, um, when it was the Orioles, not the Red Sox, who were the Yankees' biggest rivals at the time, uh, the Orioles had, I don't know if they were number one or number two, they had a top three payroll right. uh, in the game uh, under Peter Angelos. And, you know, Camden Yards was full every night, and Baltimore fans were showing up in, in masses. And I think if the Orioles put together this sustainable winner that's going to be there, I think you probably could raise ticket prices and fans would pay it because if you're giving them a good product, they're, they're going to come. Uh, it's when you're, you know, putting out a team that's losing a hundred games every year and not lowering your ticket prices that probably, you know, chaps them a little bit, but um, you know, th- this is professional sports. This is how it works. If you, you know, if you want to field a competitive team and you want to, uh, you know, up your payroll. Now, if you, now if you raise your ticket prices and don't boost your payroll significantly, then you're going to have some issues and those fans are going to revolt against you. But uh, I think this is one of those like really premature conversations that right. uh, really didn't need to be had right now. Mark, I, uh, the San Diego Padres have promoted uh, their top prospect, a 17 year old to double a San Antonio. We've seen the Washington nationals be a- aggressive. Uh, and I mean, look, I understand that's one thing to be aggressive with, uh, with college players and another thing to be aggressive with international free agents or high school players. But I'm wondering if speaking of the Orioles, if teams aren't looking a little bit at what the Orioles have been able to do in the American league East and ask themselves, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe there's a way if we have a handle on our young guys, you know, we're a couple of years out of COVID now. Uh, the minor leagues have kind of it's settled after all that that dislocation that went on. Do you think maybe teams might be more aggressive with their young dudes uh, at, at this point saying, hey, uh, look, not everybody's Gunnar Henderson or Adley Rutschman, but, I mean, it's working for the Orioles in one of the toughest divisions in baseball. Why can't it work for us? Yeah, I, I think it could. I mean, look, the Orioles also waited until Adley – Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson and uh, and some of these other kids were were in their mind ready for the big leagues. True. They, you know they didn't rush Adley up at at nineteen. No. Um, you know they 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 made sure that he went through the the process that they needed. Now Jackson Holiday, they're they're racing through the system because whatever level they're putting him at, he's the best player in the league. Um, and so you know he could be that guy that we see in the big leagues at nineteen or twenty, which doesn't happen very often that a, a guy, you know, is ready and, and can come up and be productive, right? When you mm-hmm. think about the, the guys who have come up at 18, 19 years old and just, and just you know, stepped on the gas from day one, you're talking about generational-type players. You're talking about Mike Trout. You're talking about Juan Soto. You're talking about, you know, Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., those types of players. Um, and we've also seen where teams have rushed guys up and all of a sudden they flop on their face and never quite – uh, you know, sort of recovered from it. So I think teams are going to be careful and make sure their guys are ready. But if their guys are ready, I don't think they're going to have a problem with it. Remember, we now have incentives based on the new CBA for teams to not play the service time manipulation game, uh, which I think, you know, was huge. I mean, Adley, mm-hmm. Adley wasn't manipulated last year. He was hurt at the beginning of the season. He didn't come up until mid to late May and, you know, then ended up getting a full year of service time based on where he finished in rookie of the year voting. So, um, you know, I think there, there's certainly an incentive for teams not to play that service time game, uh, which was 
which was the goal of these rules that they put into the CBA. Um, but I think you've also just seen the sort of the jolt of energy that some of these clubs have gotten from some of these young players. Uh, and yeah, why, you know, if, if you think they're ready and you think they're going to come up and be able to contribute, I mean, the Yankees did it with Volpe this year at 21 years old. He hasn't been great, but he's been pretty good for a 21 year old coming into uh, be the starting shortstop for the Yankees. The problem is that the last 21-year-old who came up through the shortstop for the Yankees, you know, one rookie of the year and went on to be a Hall of Famer. So the comparisons are happening. But, you know, you look at Volpe's home runs and his stolen bases, and he's had some stretches where he's been really hot at the plate, and he's gone through some really, you know, big slumps. And that's what most 21-year-olds do. Uh, you know, the Yankees just promoted their their number one prospect, or number two prospect now, I guess, uh, Jason Dominguez, uh, to AAA. He's 20. People keep talking about, oh, that guy's a bust because we've been talking about him for four or five years since he signed at 16. He's 20 years old at AAA. Mm-hmm. He's got 15 homers and 37 steals at AA this year at 20 years old. So would it surprise me if Dominguez plays well over the last month, uh, you know, last few weeks in, in AAA, and, uh, you know, if he competes for a job next year? No, because I think teams are seeing that um, young guys are having an impact, and if you've got one of those guys, well, you think he's going to help your team? Let's do it. All right, here comes the Yankees question. What's up and how do you change it? How do you improve it? <laughs> easy question. Um, lobbed. Lobbed fastball. Really, really easy. I think the the most astounding thing that I saw today was that the Washington Nationals and the Pittsburgh Pirates are closer to a playoff spot than the New York Yankees, um, which is just astounding to think about that, uh, given that the Yankees were – 11 games over in, in you know, mid-June right. or when, when Judge got hurt, basically. I don't know how you fix it. The problem, and, and I was at the network yesterday and I was talking to, to Mark DeRosa and Brian Kenny about this, that there isn't really an easy fix. This isn't a, um, you know, oh, we'll just, we'll just move on from the guys we have because, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton signed for four more years. DJ LeMay, who signed for three more years. Rizzo signed for another year with an option or two years. Um you know, obviously, Judge is not the problem. He's one of the few guys who's actually hitting. Um, but they've just got too many guys on their roster right now who are locked in and playing terribly. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton looks like a shell of his former self. I mean, you, if you didn't know anything about his history and you watched him and somebody said, that guy won the MVP five years ago, you'd be like, yeah, okay, right. Um, so I don't know that there's a quick fix. The to me, the biggest problem that they've had this year is not that those guys and Josh Donaldson didn't hit. Um, the biggest problem was that when they didn't hit, they also couldn't pitch. And aside from Cole and one game by Domingo Herman, the pitching has been a disaster. And there was no reason to think that was going to happen. They signed Carlos Rodada this big deal. He was coming off of two excellent years. He was hurt for the first three months. He was terrible for the next month, and then he got hurt again. Nestor Cortez was having a nice season. He's been out for three months. Luis Severino has been inarguably the worst starting pitcher in baseball this year. There was no reason to believe that was going to be the case. I mean, I'm not saying you ever thought he was necessarily going to get back to being the, you know, third-place Cy Young guy he was a few years back, but you wouldn't have thought he would be a guy with an 8 ERA either. So you look at their starting pitching, and it's just been atrocious. And to me, that's the biggest problem. I think the rotation is where they're going to have to really um, 
try to focus some some stuff on this offseason. You assume Cortez will be back healthy. You assume Rodon will be back and, and be back to what he was. But what if they're not? That's still only a three-deep rotation. Uh, I, unfortunately, and I do not advocate for this, I think Aaron Boone is going to be the fall guy. Uh, all signs are certainly pointing in that direction. I do not think that that their issues this year have 1% to do with Aaron Boone. Um, I think, you know, he can't go up there and hit for Stanton, Rizzo, and uh, and LeMahieu, and Donaldson. He, you know, he can't – there's nothing he can do. They changed hitting coaches. They tried to, you know, see if that would do something. It hasn't. Um, you know, opposing pitchers, starting pitchers, have held them to two runs or fewer in six innings or more 49 times this year. They're 9-40 and 40 in those games. But, you know, not a winning formula. No. So – um, you know, Brian Cashman's not going anywhere. I think that's pretty clear at this point. Um, but this is going to be maybe the most challenging offseason he's ever had because there is no quick fix, and he's going to have to try to figure something out. They brought up a couple of their young kids today. Uh, they're starting Pereira in left field. They're, you know, Peraza's back up. Um, you know, they've got a catcher on the way in Austin Wells. They've got Dominguez coming. So, you know, maybe the young guys get, like we were just talking about, maybe they get more of a chance quicker than – uh, than they might have otherwise. But um, for the Yankees' sake, they're going to have to hope that two or three of those guys are the real deal in terms of productive major league hitters because uh, there aren't a lot of other alternatives. And when you look at the free agent class this year, other than uh, that guy you were talking about at the beginning, who mm-hmm. I'm very surprised you think will stay with the Angels, but uh, other than him, this is not a very strong uh, free agent class. I mean, you've got You've got Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman, um, and after that, you know, position player-wise, uh, and after that, I mean, Teoscar's probably next, and he's not having a, a very good year. So um, not a lot of answers out there in free agency this year. No, it's pretty thin. Mark, th- thank you so much for joining us. You got it, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mark Feinsand is MLB.com executive reporter and MLB Network insider. He's a great Twitter follow. You can follow him on Twitter at Feinsand. Uh, it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Mr. Jeff as a party. Yeah, I'm here for you, Blair. Uh, you're always here for I me. I know. Someone's uh, got to be. <laughs> I miss the big glue. You I really miss the do? big redneck. Especially in this yeah, segment. Him yeah, and Boff will pick on you too much. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. like well, it. That's, I miss the I big mean, redneck. I kind of wish he was back. <laughs> uh, so I'll apologize. I missed that. Julio Rodriguez wasn't in the lineup yesterday. Yeah, so nice, job. That, but, nice job. Nice job. Thanks for that. But you nailed it on the Castile Mark, over Mark Boff wouldn't do that. I'll I know. Tell you it's what. true. That's why he's the producer of the show, man. It's hard producer extraordinaire. It's hard to get good help. It is. So let's go through Bad River Singh. Here's the thing. To make up for yesterday, I'm going to throw two at you today. thanks. All right. Right? Hmm. Yeah, come on, you're on a roll. Let's go. Stay hot, as, as Kevin Barker would say. Uh, so first, let's go to Yusei Kikuchi. Total outs recorded on today. It's 16 and a half. You're going over or under 16 and a half for Yusei Kikuchi? I'm going to go over, even though I know that the Baltimore Orioles, um, you know, they hit uh, Yusei Kikuchi well um, this year and in the past. If you look at their <laughs> their lineup, they've got some pretty good numbers against them. But this is a different Yusei Kikuchi than the Yusei Kikuchi that we've seen or we saw earlier this year. Um, he's faced Baltimore once since, since the, the light bulb went on. And he pitched six innings in that game, gave up seven hits, one run, had eight strikeouts and two walks. 
given the way he has made his mechanical adjustments permanent, given the command he's shown to the glove side, um, I, I would take the over. I would take the over tonight, even though I, I understand it's a, it's, it's a great lineup. I also think not having, uh, maybe not having Anthony Santander in there uh, would make a little bit of a difference. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the over. Yeah, he's the guy Barker always says is the key to that lineup, right? Yeah. Um, so now I know everybody talks about Mountcastle being the guy who, who just destroys the Blue Jays, but I want to go to Adley Rushman. Uh, total run scored by him today. That means a run or an RBI. We're going over or under uh, 0.5. So one run either way. I mean, I'll take, I'll take the over. Yeah. I'll take the over. I mean, what, he's got a 369 on base. That's the best in the team. Uh, he leads... He's got, he leads the Orioles and runs with 65. Um, he does have good numbers against Kikuchi, 5 for 14, a couple of home runs, uh, 1.268 OPS. Um, and you're looking at that lineup right now is just, it, it is so good. And uh, he scored what? I'm just looking here. He's, he's, he scored in four consecutive games. Yeah, obviously take the over. <laughs> That's obviously take the over. That was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Dan Connolly of Sports Knot. It just sounds funny seeing that. Dan Connolly of Sports Knot joins us in the next hour to uh, talk a little more about the Orioles ahead of tonight's 705 first pitch. Cliff Floyd joins us as well. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and Sportsnet. Sportsnet.